Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello again, and welcome to the Valkyrie Underground. Thank you so much for joining me, your host, Urban Jungle Girl, on the Might is Right Network at MightIsRight.net. Today is Moon Day, November the 10th, 2014. Between the live podcasts, Might is Right streams 24 hours a day, some of the best white racialist material and music out there. Moon Day is Valkyrie Underground with me. 
Cures Day is Berserker Bastion with Ruthless Rob. Wooden's Day is the Strategy Session with Norman and My Violent Heart. Thor's Day is the Midas Right Power Hour with Bill Rise. And Sunday's is Open Lines. Tonight, I'm going to be discussing Christ Insanity and the Big Enchilada. And uh, this should be an interesting show. I hope you like it. I'm going to start by presenting something that I think all good white racialists should have embedded in their brain. And uh, it's the Credo number 43 in the White Man's Bible. But it is the devastating ramification of Paul of Tarsus and Christianity, Christianity's role in destroying Roman civilization. And uh, so I'm going to, to read this because I think it's important. And uh, this is sort of a, I'm going to do a fact-based session and then uh, some statistics and then the big enchilada. So the following was written by Marcus Eli Ravage, a Jewish writer, 1884 to 1965. It appeared in the now-defunct Century magazine in the February 1928 edition. It is so clear, so direct, and its implications so far-reaching that the full disaster so explicitly spelled out herein completely escapes the average befuddled white Christian. Of course, you don't resent us. It is no good telling me you don't. So let us not waste any time on denials and alibis. You know you do, and I, do, and I know it, and we understand each other. To be sure, some of your best friends are Jews and all that. I have heard that before, once or twice, I think. And I know, too, that you do not include me personally, me, quote-unquote, being any particular individual Jew, when you fling out at us in your wholesale fashion, because I am, well, so different, don't you know, almost as good as one of yourselves. That little exemption does not somehow move me to gratitude, but never mind that now. It is the aggressive, climbing, pushing, materialistic sort you dislike, those, in a word, who remind you so much of your own up-and-coming brethren. We understand each other perfectly. I don't hold it against you. Bless my soul, I do not blame anybody for disliking anybody. The thing that intrigues me about this anti-Jewish business as you play at it is your total lack of grit. You so you are so indirect and roundabout with it, you make such transparent excuses. You seem to be suffering from self-consciousness so horribly that if the performance were not grotesque, it would be irritating. It is not as if you were amateurs. You have been at it for 15 centuries. Yet watching you and hearing your childish pretexts, one might get the impression that you did not know yourselves what it is all about. You resent us, but you cannot clearly say why. You think up a new excuse, a reason, is what you call it every other day. You've been piling up justifications for yourselves these many hundreds of years, and each new invention is more laughable than the last, and each new excuse contradicts and annihilates the last. So many years ago, I used to hear that we were money grabbers and commercial materialists, now the complaint is being whispered around that no art and no profession is safe against Jewish invasion. We are, if you are to be believed, at once clannish 
and exclusive and unassimilable because we won't intermarry with you. And we are also climbers and pushers and a menace to your racial integrity. Our standard of living is so low that we create your slums and sweat industries and so high that we crowd you out of your best residential sections. We shirk our patriotic duty in wartime because we are pacifist by nature and tradition and we are the arch plotters of universal wars and the chief beneficiaries of those wars. We are at once the founders, the leading adherents of capitalism and the chief perpetrators of the rebellion against capitalism. Surely, history has nothing like us for versatility. And oh, I almost forgot the reason of reasons. We are the stiff-necked people who never accepted Christianity, and we are the criminal people who crucified its founder. But I tell you, you are self-deceivers. You lack either the self-knowledge or the metal to face the facts squarely and own up to the truth. You resent the Jew not because, as some of you seem to think, we crucified Jesus, but because we gave him birth. Your real quarrel with us is not that we have rejected Christianity, but that we have imposed it upon you. Your loose contradictory charges against us are not a patch on the blackness of our proved historic offense. You accuse us of stirring up revolution in Moscow. Suppose we admit the charge. What of it? Compared with what Paul, the Jew of Tarsus, accomplished in Rome, the Russian upheaval is a mere street brawl. You make such noise and fury about the undue Jewish influence in your theaters and movie palaces. Very good. Granted, your complaint is well-founded. But what is that compared to our staggering influence in your churches, your schools, your laws and your governments, and the very thoughts you think every day? A clumsy Russian forges a set of papers and publishes them in a book called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion which shows that we plotted to bring on the late World War, meaning World War One. You believe that book. All right. For the sake of argument, we will underwrite every word of it. It is genuine and authentic. But what is that beside the unquestionable historic conspiracy which we have carried out, which we have never denied because you never had the courage to charge us with it, and of which the full record is extant for anyone to read? If you really are serious when you talk of Jew plots, may I not direct your attention to one worth talking about? What use is it wasting words on the alleged control of your public opinion by Jewish financiers, newspaper owners, and movie magnates when you might as well justly accuse us of the proved control of your whole civilization by the Jewish Gospels? You have not begun to appreciate the real depths of our guilt. We are intruders, we are disturbers, we are subverters. We have taken your natural world, your ideals, your destiny, and played havoc with them. We have been at the bottom, not merely of your latest great war, but of nearly all your wars, not only of the Russian, but of every other major revolution in your history. We have brought discord and confusion and frustration into your personal and public life. We are still doing it. No one can tell how long we shall go on doing it. Look a little and see what has happened. 
1,900 years ago, you were an innocent, carefree, pagan race. You worshipped countless gods and goddesses, the spirits of the air, of the running streams, of the woodland. You took unblushing pride in the glory of your naked bodies. You carved images of your gods and of the tantalizing human figure. You delighted in the combats of the field, the arena and battleground. War and slavery were fixed institutions in your systems. Deporting yourself on the hillside and in the valleys of the great outdoors, you took to speculation to the wonder and mystery of life and laid the foundation of natural science and philosophy. Yours was a noble, sensual culture, unirked by the prickings of a social conscience or by any sentimental questionings about human equality. Who knows what great and glorious destiny might have been yours if we had left you alone? But we did not leave you alone. We took you in hand and pulled down the beautiful and generous structure you had reared and changed the whole course of your history. We conquered you as no empire of yours ever ever subjugated Africa or Asia. And we did it all without armies, without bullets, without blood or turmoil, without force of any kind. We did it solely by the irresistible might of our spirit with ideas and propaganda. We made you the willing and unconscious bearers of our mission to the whole world. So the barbarous races of the earth to the countless unborn generations, without fully understanding what we were doing to you, you became the agents at large of our racial tradition, carrying your gospel to the unexplored ends of the earth. Our tribal customs have become the core of your moral code. Our tribal laws have furnished the basic groundwork of all your august constitutions and legal systems. Our legends and our folk tales are the sacred lore which you croon to your infants. Our poets have filled your hymnals and your prayer books. Our national history has become an indispensable part of your pastors and priests and scholars. Our kings, our statesmen, our prophets, our warriors are your heroes. Our ancient little country is your holy land. Our national literature is your holy Bible. What our people thought and taught has become inextricably woven into your very speech and tradition until no one among you can be called educated who is not familiar with our racial heritage. Jewish artisans and Jewish fishermen are your teachers and your saints with countless statues carved in their image and innumerable cathedrals raised to their memories. A Jewish maiden is your ideal of motherhood and womanhood. A Jewish rebel prophet is the central figure in your religious worship. We have pulled down your idols, cast aside your racial inheritance, and substituted for them our God and our traditions. No conquest in history can even remotely compare with this clean sweep of our conquest over you. How did we do it? Almost by accident. Two thousand years ago, nearly, in far-off Palestine, our religion had fallen into decay and materialism. Money changers were in possession of the temple. Degenerate, selfish priests mulched our people and grew fat. When a young patriot idealist arose and went about the land calling for a revival of faith, He had no thought of setting up a new church. 
Like all the prophets before him, his only aim was to purify and revitalize the old creed. He attacked the priests and drove the money changers from the temple. This brought him into conflict with the established order and its supporting pillars. The Roman authorities, who were in occupation of the country, fearing his revolutionary agitation as a political effort to oust them, arrested him, tried him, and condemned him to death by crucifixion, a common form of execution at that time, if that can be believed. The followers of Jesus of Nazareth, mainly slaves and poor workmen, in their bereavement and disappointment, turned away from the world, formed themselves into a brotherhood of pacifist non-resisters, sharing the memory of the crucified leader and living together communistically. They were merely a new sect in Judea without power or consequence, neither the first nor the last. Only after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans did the new creed come into prominence. Then a patriotic Jew named Paul or Saul conceived the idea of humbling the Roman power by destroying the moral of its solidarity with the doctrines of love and non-resistance preached by the little sect of Jewish Christians. He became the apostle to the Gentiles. He went hitherto, had been one of the most active persecutors of the band. And so well did Paul do his work that within four centuries the great empire, which had subjugated Palestine, along with half of the world, was a heap of ruins. And the law, which went forth from Zion, became the official religion of Rome. It was the beginning of our dominance in your world, but it was only the beginning. From this time forth, your history is little more than a struggle for mastery between your own old pagan spirit and our Jewish spirit. Half your wars, great and little, are religious wars, fought over the interpretation of one thing or another in our teachings. You no sooner broke free from your primitive religion, religious simplicity and attempted the practice of the pagan Roman learnings that Luther, armed with our Gospels, arose to down you and to rethrone our heritage. Take the three principal revolutions in modern times, the French, the American, and the Russian. What are they but the triumph of the Jewish idea of social, political, and economic justice? And the end is still a long way off. We still dominate you. At this very moment, your churches are torn asunder by civil war between fundamentalists and modernists. That is to say, between those who cling to our teachings and traditions, literally, and those who are striving by slow steps to dispossess us. In Dayton, Tennessee, a Bible-bred community forbids the teaching of your science because it conflicts with our ancient Jewish account of the origin of life. And Mr. Bryan, the leader of the anti-Jewish Ku Klux Klan in the Democratic National Convention, makes the supreme fight of his life on our behalf without noticing the contradiction. Again and again, the Puritan heritage of Judea breaks out in waves of stage censorship, Sunday blue laws and national prohibition acts, And while these things are happening, you twaddle about Jewish influence in the movies. Is it any wonder you resent us? We have put a clog upon your progress. We have imposed upon you an alien book and an alien faith which you cannot swallow or digest, which is at cross-purposes with your native spirit. 
you everlastingly ill at ease and which you lack the spirit either to reject or to accept in full. In full, of course, you never have accepted our Christian teachings. In your hearts, you are still pagans. You still love war and graven images and strife. You still take pride in the glory of the nude human figure. Your social conscience, in spite of all democracy and all your social revolutions, is still pitifully imperfect thing. We have merely divided your soul, confused your impulses, paralyzed your desires. In the midst of battle, you are obliged to kneel down to him who commanded you to turn the other cheek, who said, Resist not evil, and blessed are the peacemakers. In your lust for gain, you are suddenly disturbed by a memory from your Sunday school days about taking no thought for the marrow. In your industrial struggles, when you would smash a strike without compunction, you are suddenly reminded that the poor are blessed and that men are brothers in the fatherhood of the Lord. And as you are about to yield to temptation, your Jewish training puts a deterrent hand on your shoulder and dashes the brimming cup from your lips. You Christians have never become Christianized. To that extent, we have failed with you, but we have forever spoiled the fun of paganism for you. So why should you not resent us? If we were in your place, we should probably dislike you more cordially than you do us. But we should make no bones about telling you why. We should not resort to subterfuges and transparent pretexts. With millions of painfully respectable Jewish shopkeepers all about us, we should not insult your intelligence and your own honesty by talking about consumerism as a Jewish philosophy. Sorry, that was communism. And with millions of hard-working, impunctious Jewish peddlers and laborers, we should not make ourselves ridiculously by talking about international capitalism as a Jewish monopoly. No, we should go straight to the point. We should contemplate this confused, ineffectual muddle which we call civilization, this half-Christian, half-pagan medley. And were our places reversed, we should say to you, point blank, for this mess, thanks to you, to your prophets, and to your Bible. And that's the end of that. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Christianity, Judaism, and the fall of empires. Uh, in other words, we can call this uh, the enslavement of mankind. And I, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here mostly because I know that most of you are aware of a lot of this, but there may be some people who aren't. Um, there's a lot of history that goes unnoticed, and so uh, the facts section that I'm covering are mm, sort of a history lesson. All right. Jesus Christ is a tool utilized by Jews over the last 2,000 years to destroy Gentile people and empires by bringing them under the Jewish yoke. The Jews have been able to do this by convincing Gentiles that a stick figure presenting Jewish history is a real man-god whose suffering and death, like the suffering and death of the Jewish people themselves, represented the only hope for divine intervention in the lives and destinies of the poorly governed Gentile races. The problem, with which Jews have always had in controlled empires hundreds of times more populated 
that their own obscure tribal insufficiency has been to contain the Gentiles' exuberance of worship so that it would not interfere with Jewish aims and ideals. To this day, they have invented two major religions, Christianity and Islam, as well as hundreds of socialist, centrist government camps dedicated to the same aims as the new, bastardized, pro-Jewish faiths, which they have created for our amusement, i.e. communism, socialism, anarchism, the new Democratic Party of the United States, the Republican-Democratic megalith, unionism, media monopolization, banking, world wars, fundamentalism, Zionism, the anti-Semitic and anti-majority schemata, and the hate, misidentification, and obscuration industry, courtism, by which Jewish lawyers and judges dish out legislation against the wishes of the majority peoples via court fiat, immigration to destroy the host mass, integration to destroy the host mass, open borders, and the destruction of national will to survive. To this day, oh, to do this, the Jews have had to control the writing and publication of books, which most recently translated into the monopoly ownership, not only of traditional paper publishing, but of other emerging mass media types, including film, video, TV, radio, cable, satellite, and Internet, all of which are solidly in Jewish ownership hands. Without the control of religion, media, and mass political movements, the Jews would still be insignificant. With the control of these entities in Jewish hands, however, the denizens of all nations are able to act freely, hidden, and sometimes openly to destroy their host masses. In addition, most of the references of knowledge to which non-Jews must research to oppose prevailing ideas are written and controlled by Judeo-Bolshevik publication owners so that the outcomes of most research assuredly achieve outcomes that are soundly rooted only in Judeo-Bolshevist thoughts. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of Judaism whose entire history is played out and then worshipped in the mythological biography of a fictional religious stick-figure character. His original followers were Judeo-Bolsheviks who sold all of their property, gave it to the central Christian authority, and became a penniless follower of his every whim and order. Anyone not showing complete obedience was removed, but none of their money was ever returned. There was no Jesus Christ, because both names were prefabricated long after the supposed events surrounding his fictional life. The word Jesus means, quote, out of the root of Jesse, end quote, and refers to the genealogy of anyone who is related by descent from Jesse, the parental line from which King David of Judea and the North Kingdom of Israel was born and descended. The word Christ is Greek, and it means Messiah. Christ is a word that would not have been used as the name of the supposed Jesus Christ, quote-unquote, as no citizen of Judah would know its meaning. The Judeans were engulfed and culturally demolished by the occupation of Roman legions in their own nation. Their king Herod was a non-Judean who was elevated to power by influence and corruption. Herod's rule over the Jews and his ascendancy to the leadership of its religion by de facto powers imposed by Rome on his behalf, including the Roman treasury of Judean taxation, 
which allowed him to rebuild an imposing temple in Jerusalem to the dead Judean god, gave him influence and power among the people. The Judeans themselves, however, were at a loss because it was Roman power and influence that merely granted, quote-unquote, them the right to worship in what had once been their own country and which was now merely a Roman province, making them mere provincials where once they had held supreme power to rule over their nation's destiny. Their answer came when Constantine elevated Christianity to the official religion of Rome. This momentous event gave the Judeans mastery over the Roman world as long as they could effectively manipulate the church and emperors alike, working each against the other. Although the empire and Christianity both considered Jews openly to be outcasts, nonetheless, in the background, they allowed them to control the currency, which regulated all of the economies of the various nations within the empire, because it had been written into the Bible that only Jews could do this and only for non-Jews. Anyone controlling the currency and banking through which it is funneled is truly the master of those nations. Since the Bible said the Jews could practice usury only against non-Jews, eventually the Jews, protected from usury, became wealthy and powerful far beyond their numbers, and their hatred of the people of Rome for having destroyed their nation was thus revenged over and over for hundreds of years at their hands which continues to happen in the modern world where Jews still control these nations through banking and their monopoly over currency speculations, banking securities, trading, and other forms of exchange through which they control and profit from all the channels of trade between empires. Share a few facts with you. Roughly half of the Christ Insanity Bible is shared word for word with the Jews They call it the Torah. You call it the Old Testament. Fact. Judeo-Christianity is a multi-racial religion. Literally hundreds of millions of non-whites believe in, worship, and revere the exact same myths as the perverse Christ-insanity-infected whites do. Fact. Formalized Judeo-Christianity is only about 1,700 years old from the Nicene Council in 325. The recorded history of the Aryan race is at least 6,000 years old. Fact. The most powerful and admired Aryan empires known to history all appeared before Judeo-Christianity, i.e. Sumer, Egypt, Sparta, Athens, and Rome. Fact. White-on-white bloodshed provoked by intra-Christian denominational strife has weakened our race throughout history and countless to do so even until today. Example are the French Wars of Religion, 1562-98, the Thirty Years' War, 1618-48, Northern Ireland today, Western Balkans today. Fact. Judeo-Christians are notorious race mixers. Churches of all the various denominations within Judeo-Christianity systematically teach their flocks that Yahweh loves all believers equally, no matter what their race. Fact. 
one of the most active and politically, I'm sorry, politically influential branches of Judeo-Christianity is Christian Zionism. This particular denomination, which is related to a similar movement of the 18th and 19th centuries called British Israelism, and which unfortunately has certain dogmatic traits in common with present-day Christian identity, teaches that whites should dominate all their surplus donate all their surplus funds, their work, and even their spare time through praying to the benefit benefit of the Israeli Jews. The fraudsters behind Christian Zionism managed to corrupt and exploit the minds of millions of the just gullible, feeble-minded whites on a global scale with certain tedious and delusional fantasies about end-time prophecies. This is a pathetic and comical reoccurrence well-known in Judeo-Christian circles in general, evidenced century after century, in which greedy, unscrupulous, and cunning preachers again and again managed to convince the most superstitious and naive among their race that they should pay up their savings because Judgment Day is just around the corner. The Christian triumph is uh, something that... um, adds a little flavor to this too and there are a few more things that I'll do and then we'll go into another phase but uh, sometimes I hear from Christians that well quote Christianity must have been better and stronger than paganism because Christianity prevailed Christianity didn't really prevail in Europe Christianity almost destroyed Europe suffocated her in darkness backwardness stupidity ignorance and destruction As we know, the first thousand years of Christianity in Europe is called the Dark Ages. Christianity pulled a very advanced Europe down so far that by the time of the Crusades, the Muslims were ahead of us. They were still far behind the pagan Europe, as it had been a thousand years earlier, but at the time of the Crusades, they were miles ahead of Europe in almost all contexts. To those who think only that Greece and the Roman Empire were the only worthy nations. The rest of Europe was advanced too. Example, Scandinavians were navigating the high seas when the rest of the world was still forced to travel along the coast. Our beautiful buildings were made of wood, so they did not survive the Christian onslaught. Our culture was oral, so we have almost no records of what we did, thought, or wanted And when we find evidence of something great, advanced, and interesting from our pagan past, the people in power today are quick to destroy it all. They see, they will see, no such thing, so we don't either. The Renaissance did not come by chance, but because it was needed. Europe absolutely had to breathe again, think, create, and advance again, and the Christians failed to stop this. What followed then was several hundred years of witch hunts, resulting in some some claim as much as 30 million deaths. We can assume that it was no coincidence that this came with the Renaissance. This is how they tried to stop it. This is how they tried to stop the pagan European ideals from forcing their way back up into the light by murdering those they thought were behind it or in some way contributed to it. And this is a point. The European ideals forced their way back up to the light. You see, they never were gone. They just went underground. 
and when the priest knocked on the door to see if you were Christian enough and his henchmen at his side ready to torture and kill the people living there often just pretended to be Christians. They went to church, hung the cross over their beds, married in church, and did everything the priests expected them to do. And then in private, in secret, they kept the European traditions alive. As you see, Christianity never really prevailed, even though Europe was and is more or less officially Christian. Many and sometimes most of us Europeans are not and never were. We know that today most of us are not, but we are told that we used to be. Even that is not true, though, just like today, the majority of Europeans in the past were not Christians. The only difference is that today we no longer have to pretend we are in order not to be tortured, killed, and burned at the stake. Christian logic If she drowns, she is innocent. If she floats, she is guilty and must be killed. So they get to murder her no matter what. A good illustration of what they did with Europe. The Christians stopped murdering pagans, not because they all of a sudden became moral and honorable, but because they no longer have the power to do so. If they could, they would, but they can't because Christianity is weak because Christianity has lost. In Western Europe, pretty much only old people are Christian. There are some young, but they are rare, and most of them have gotten rid of that Asian psychosis before they are done with puberty. In reality, we can expect Christianity to completely go away from Western Europe within a few generations. It will die with the fewer and fewer fools who still cling to it. So I wish to ask you, quote, well, if Christianity was better and stronger than paganism, why is it paganism was never successfully removed even after thousands of years of persecutions? Why is it more and more Europeans embrace their pagan heritage? Why is it Christianity is failing so miserably? Christianity conquered Europe, but never the people of Europe. Most of us were, and still are, pagans in heart and mind, even after 2,000 years of Christian terror, 2,000 years and you still have not managed to convert even one-third of us. Hail the pagan Europe, hail and joy. This will be the last of my fact session, and then we'll go into some statistics. To begin with, I don't have a single word of what those rabies-infected Jew pigs right, or whatever. I wouldn't even trust a math book written by a Jew, because in all likelihood, it's somehow part of yet another good-for-the-Jews racket. As far as the Torah goes, a.k.a. the Old Testament, it's undisputed that it has been written by some Hebrews. In other words, it can only be a bunch of lies. The fact that the Pharisees claimed that it's been dedicated to them by their invisible, Jew-loving, psychopathic, genocidal God doesn't make it any more trustworthy, quite the opposite. In that context, it's important to realize what kind of folks the ancient Hebrews were. They were the equivalent of modern-day gypsies. According to Sumerian, Egyptian, Akkadian, Hittite, Matani, and Ugaritic sources from before 2000 B.C. to around 1200 B.C., 
The Hibaru were a group of people living as nomadic invaders in areas of the Fertile Crescent from northeastern Mesopotamia and Iran to the borders of Egypt and, Can- and Canaan. Depending on the source and epoch, these Hibaru were variously described as nomadic or semi-nomadic, rebels, outlaws, raiders, mercenaries, archers, servants, slaves, migrant laborers, etc. It's the same scum who ran the network of caravans between China, the Middle East, North Africa, and Europe, dominating the trade in silk, china, spices, jewelry, and slaves. Essentially, they were the lowest life, lowest lowlifes of their time, using their wanker religion, God loves us more than anyone else, to justify their horrific treatment of people outside of their tribe. Given their pathologically criminal nature, the religion of the Hebrews was a load of bullshit. Either they stole it from some other regional religion, or they just made it up. And uh, the Sashus are uh, often pointed out as the people that they stole a good bit of the, uh, the Yahweh myth from. The whole Egyptian captivity story is a good example. To start with, there were no pharaohs, only kings and queens. And the Hebrews were never slaves in Egypt. They were conquerors after doing what the parasitic Hebrews do best, which is sucking out the country until it's completely ruined, or the locals smarten up and kick them out. In other words, the Jewish faith is just a self-serving Hebrew concoction, and so is the Christian faith. We even know the name of the skunk who invented it, Titus Josephus Flavius. Born shortly after the alleged death of Jesus as the son of a high priest at the Jerusalem temple and a and a Hebrew princess, he was part of the Hebrew elite that got abducted by the Romans after the failed Hebrew revolt against the Romans and brought to Rome. Titus Josephus Flavius tried to make amends with the Romans, taking part in gigantic psyops against the Hebrew rabbis by inventing Jesus Christus. The idea was, in an effort to make the Hebrews less troublesome, to make them give up their hope for a mythical savior or messiah whose job it was to bring about Jewish world domination with all non-Jews, either dead or serving Jews, as their slaves. Even mainstream theologians admit that the so-called Gospels were written generations after Jesus' alleged death. They are basically reinterpretations and remakes of Titus Josephus Flavius's original work, The main reason for the differences between Flavius and the different Gospels is the nature of their transmission. Early Christians were, due to their low socioeconomic status, not very educated, and mostly unable to read and write. So it couldn't come as a surprise that the stories significantly changed over the years. The Hebrew priesthood obviously didn't pull any punches. Not only did they retaliate with the Babylonian Talmud in which Jesus was maligned in the worst possible ways and described as having been punished for challenging the Pharisees with the most gruesome death, what is more, they infiltrated the developing Christian church with their moles or converts for the purpose of redirecting its missionary effort away from the Hebrews towards members of other religions within the Roman Empire. As a result the new faith proved to be far more successful amongst the most disadvantaged of Roman society, 
most notably soldiers, women, and slaves, making them put all their hopes into the afterlife. Effectively, the Christian faith was creating happier and thus more productive minions. The Roman elite quickly grasped the benefits of the Christian religion, benefits for the Roman elite, that is, and decided to make it the official state religion. Historic roots aside, my main problem with the Christian faith is the effect it has on people's ability to think. They just believe whoever they trust, irrespective of reason, and go with the flow like a sheep. The Christian niceties are just sugar coatings of the psychopathic and genocidal Hebrew content contained in the Old Testament. In other words, the New Testament acts as a Trojan horse for the Jewish mind virus. The Christian religion makes Christians defenseless against Jewish mind control. It gives them mental HIV. It turns them into wolves in sheep's clothing. For humanity to survive, it must be destroyed without traces, together with everything Jewish. So as I was putting all of these, um, all of this information together, sort of in a kind of a flow, I wanted to uh, get some statistics and um, some related statistics that would be appropriate for for this discussion, and primarily being on Christ insanity. And so, I, what I found: the ten countries with the largest number of Christians. Number one is the United States with. 246 million, Brazil, 175 million, Mexico, 107 million, Russia, 105 million, Philippines, 86 million, Nigeria, 80 million, China, 67 million, the Congo, 63 million, Germany, 58 million, Ethiopia, 52 million. Hold on to those numbers for a minute, and um, and I'm going to try to present this. Maybe you can visualize it. Uh, in 1910, I have a little graph of the uh, regional distribution of Christians worldwide. And in 1910, the biggest preponderance of Christians was in Europe at 60, 66.3% and the Americas at 27.1%, which I find interesting. And then very small pieces of the Middle East at 0.7, Asia Pacific at 4.5, Sub-Saharan Africa at 1.4. Now, that was 1910. In 2010, Americans, or the Americas, are now 36.8%, as opposed to 27.1%. Europe is 25.9% in 2010 and it was 63 point, 66.3% in, in 1910. And now the little slivers have grown larger in the Middle East and North Africa at 6.6% uh, and Sub-Saharan Africa at 23.6%. Now the reason that I bring those up is because I want to draw the parallels with what is happening to white countries now, how it's being facilitated, and who is effectuating those those changes. And so 
keeping those statistics in mind, I'm going to read a few other things. The Constitution's Establishment Clause has been rendered irrelevant by the unholy alliance between church and state, which provides millions of dollars of taxpayer money to provide sanctuary and services to the many thousands of illegal immigrants surreptitiously scattered throughout the country. This has been going on for several years, and the notable faith, charity, and humanitarian motives have been diluted by government's proverbial 30 pieces of silver. Since 2002, faith-based organizations have received billions of dollars to aid and abet the violation of our immigration laws. Many Judeo-Christian institutions are involved. For example, 62% of Catholic Charities' annual revenue comes from government largesse. And over the past two years, the Baptist Child and Family Services received nearly $100 million in federal grants for the Unaccompanied Alien Children Program, which can include youths up to 22 years of age if they are pursuing a high school diploma. America is being colonized by the Third World, and the churches are complicit in this dangerous political endeavor, which harbors threats to our nation's physical and financial health. Crony Christianity challenges the separation of church and state. Crony Christianity is the collaborative arrangement between government and Christian faith-based organizations, whereby government funds Christian organizations to deliver goods and services that advance the political agenda of the government, any government. The crisis surrounding the flood of aliens into the United States has promoted crony Christianity. It is a variation of the spider's web of similar arrangements spun between business and government and that we call crony capitalism. The five players in crony cap- Christianity are, one, the bureaucrats who run ecclesiastically related organizations, two, the church laity aligned with various denominations that underwrite those organizations in part or in full, three, officials within government agencies that grant money, four, taxpayers who fund government grants, and five, the clients who receive aid from the faith-based organizations that operate with government funding. For reasons that remain unclear and widely debated, the Obama administration has choreographed the influx of tens of thousands of aliens there is a very interesting um, uh, website that you can go to uh, to pull up statistics, and, and it's, uh, it's pretty deep. It's called TAGS, T-A-G-G-S, the Tracking Accountability in Government Grant Systems. The invasion has been a reenactment of the Children's Crusade of 1212 A.D. It is reasonable to say that when Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, he didn't mean they come atop a boxcar and then cross the border behind a coyote. The federal government began to prepare for the flood of aliens before the tide arrived and before the legacy media amped up its coverage of the story. Both knew what was coming before most of the rest of us did. Those Christian service organizations that already had an established funding relationship with federal government stood near the front of the line to help resettle 
the invaders, along with secular organizations already knowledgeable of and dependent upon federal grants. Many church leaders embraced the challenge to help transport and temporarily house aliens as an opportunity to express their faith. They neither could see nor wanted to look beyond the faces of the invaders. This fall, thousands of non-speaking, non-English-speaking Central Americans, many illiterate in their own language, are showing up at public schools that are ill-equipped to educate them as the crisis worsens. Multiple non-religious social service organizations stood eager to receive grants to assist the alien youth. They include, but are not limited to, the following list of grant recipients. Uh, it records that, uh, provide the organization's name. Okay, so these are some of the organizations. Heartland Alliance of Human Needs and Human Rights in Chicago. This is uh, this year. We've got $21.5 million. Heartland Human Care Services in Chicago got $33.6 million. Southwest Key Programs Incorporated in Austin, Texas got $542 million. International Education Services in Texas got $116 million. Florence Crittenton Services of Orange County in California got $55 million. The Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service in Baltimore, Maryland, got $26 million. Lutheran Social Services of the South in Austin, Texas, got $11 million. Lutheran Family and Community Services in New York got $2 million. Baptist Child and Family Services in San Antonio, Texas, got $466 million, approaching, actually, half a billion. Georgia Baptist Children's Home and Family Ministries in Fulton, California, $3 million. Board of Child Care of the United Methodist Church in Baltimore, $2.5 million. Catholic Char- Charities of the Diocese of Galveston in Houston, Texas, got $47.5 million. Cardinal McCloskey School and Home for Children, uh, which is a Roman Catholic endeavor, got a whopping $14.5 million. Catholic Char- Charities of the Archdiocese of Miami in Miami, Florida, got $35.6 million. U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in Washington, D.C., got $435 million. Short, little $64 million short of half a billion. Seton House in San Antonio, Texas, got $3.3 million. Catholic Guardian Services in New York got $3.3 million. Mercy First in Syosset, New York, got $4.4 million. And St. Peter and St. Joseph's Children's Home in San Antonio, Texas, got $7.6 million. His House, Inc., in Miami, Florida, got $23.9 million. In late 2014, a New York Times article celebrated that U.S. religious leaders embrace cause of immigrant children. The paper favorably compared the religious leaders' response, the angry pushback from citizens and local officials who have channeled their outrage over illegal immigration into opposition to proposed shelter sites. 
the Times quoted Russell Moore, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, as saying, quote, This is a crisis and not simply a political crisis, but a moral one. The anger directed toward vulnerable children is deplorable and disgusting. The first thing is to make sure we understand these are not issues, these are persons. These children are made in the image of God, and we ought to respond to them with compassion, not with fear. More beats a straw man. Citizen anger is not directed toward the aliens, but toward the government that uses them for political gain. And that part. So I wanted you to know what kind of money is being bandied about and, and what these these so-called churches do with the money that the gullible Christ and saying give to them. They need to know that they're aiding and abetting destruction of their own people. And I'm going to follow with one last thing, and then I'm going to open the lines, I think. Um, I did have a... Um, I had a fairy tale that I was going to to close with, and I might still do that, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, This is about the Catholic Church. As As countless child sex abuse scandals have rocked the Catholic Church over the last several years, American families have been leaving the church in droves. As American men and women whisk away their children from the potential risk of molestation in the Catholic Church, they also take their much-needed money. The coffers of the U.S. Catholic churches have been running on empty, and the church sees the pocketbooks of illegal immigrants as the only hope. During Pope Benedict's 2008 visit to the United States, he gave many speeches and sermons. Among other things, the Pope admonished Americans to adopt a welcoming attitude towards those who break our laws by entering this country illegally. Benedict said, I want to encourage you and your communities to continue to welcome the immigrants who join your ranks today to share their joys and hopes, to support them in their sorrows and trials, and to help them flourish in their new home. In 2009, it was discovered that the Pontifical Commission for Latin America, a Vatican-based group which answers directly to the Pope, has made a large donation to help build a shelter for Central Americans in their illegal journey to the United States. The money was given to the Brothers on the Path Refuge located in the Mexican city of Ixtepec. Between 2005 and 2007, the number of Central American nationals caught by the Border Patrol entering the United States illegally has averaged 11% of their total apprehensions. While the majority of the 875,000 caught sneaking across the border annually are Mexicans, those coming from countries such as Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador are adding to the incredible burden placed on our border patrol agents. Along with the usual problems posed by illegal immigration, a particularly violent gang known as MS-13 hails from El Salvador, but now has many Honduran and Guatemalan members as well. In addition to other parts of the country, MS-13 has been gaining a large presence in northern Virginia and Maryland and is responsible for several machete attacks in the area. In 2005, an Alexandria teenager lost four fingers during a savage encounter with MS-13 members and a Fairfax man has also become a victim of an MS-13 machete attack. In June 2005, Los Angeles Cardinal Roger Mahoney 
wrote an op-ed piece for the Los Angeles Times in which he defended and even encouraged illegal aliens to enter this country. Of course, Mexicans and other Latin Americans are overwhelmingly devout Catholics. Mahoney, along with the rest of the church's hierarchy, is undoubtedly anxious to tap this potential source of income. In 2006, Cardinal Mahoney directed all priests in his 288 parish archdiocese to simply ignore any federal law which requires anyone working on behalf of the church to inquire into the citizenship of anyone seeking help. The Catholic Church offers assistance to illegal aliens applying for various welfare programs. The directive was given by Mahoney in response to the immigration bill passed by the U.S. House of Representatives in December of 2005, which mandated the prosecution of anyone who knowingly aided an illegal alien. For decades, the Catholic Church shielded and protected child-molesting priests. As complaints would come pouring in from parents threatening to involve the police, the Church would simply ship the offending priest off on sabbatical, eventually pawning them off on another unsuspecting parish where the process would begin again. Of course, that practice is nothing more than aiding and abetting known criminals and the enormous toll of lives destroyed by this disgusting and cowardly exercise by the Catholic Church will never be fully known. The Catholic Church has been forced to pay out millions to the victims of pedophile priests, fed up with the hypocrisy and disregard for the lives of innocent children, many Americans have fled the church. In the Boston Archdiocese alone, 65 churches have been forced to close their doors due to a sharp decline in parishioners. Boston was once considered the center of the American Catholic society. Catholic worshipers in that city were shocked to learn of the outrageous behavior displayed by Cardinal Bernard Law and the offending priests he protected for so many years. One priest that Law moved around to several different parishes was Father Paul Shanley. As it turned out, Friar Shanley was not only a molester, but an advocate for NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association. While Shanley was eventually convicted of child rape, Cardinal Law was rewarded by Pope John Paul II, who brought him to Rome, where he now holds a prominent position within the Vatican. For many American Catholics, it became obvious that their church would never take seriously the issue of children being victimized by child-raping priests. It also became obvious that the church would never take true responsibility for the role the leaders of the church played in harboring these monsters. It is little wonder that so many now well-informed American Catholics refuse to even return their children along with their donations to the church. The illegal aliens represent exactly what the Catholic Church needs right now, largely uneducated and devoted worshipers with jobs. The illegal aliens will fill the now-darkened parishes throughout the United States. Many of these people will speak very little English, and most lack even an elementary school education, and are much more likely to keep their mouths shut once the priests begin to have their way with their children. The shell game of shifting pedophile priests around the country will begin again and the faithful will continue to fork over 10% of their wages to the church. The Catholic Church helped to organize the massive illegal alien rallies seen in recent years around the nation. A March 2006 rally held in Washington, D.C. was sponsored by, among others, the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C.'s Office of Justice and Service, Catholic 
charities of the Arlington Diocese and the Catholic Social Justice Lobby Network. Baltimore churches, St. Michael and St. Patrick, even sent a bus convoy filled with illegal aliens to the rally. And I think I'll stop. I don't think I need to read any. I think we get the general idea about what's uh, what that's all about. And so, I think I have callers, maybe. Let's see. Hello, caller. Welcome. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I was trying to get you up there. Well, initially you were trying that other number that looks like a Skype number. Maybe uh, I'm going to put it on mute. Maybe okay. uh, he stepped aside from the phone for a second. That okay. might be maybe My Violent Heart or could be Wolf Wall Street or some other Skype caller. Okay. But I'm the next one, so. <laughs> okay, well, hello. Hi. Yeah, <laughs> I'm Bill. To... <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Bill. What do you have to add to this little discussion um, we're having tonight? Yeah, the faggots in the uh, Catholic Church, you know, with the molesting of the little boys, when you're dealing with these uh, lawsuits, these various uh, big amounts of money they've had to put out, these are cases going back to the 60s and 70s. And it's really not new. This is going back centuries, the same kind of behavior. But in modern times, we're going back to the 60s and 70s. And, yeah, that's what the... uh, higher-ups did, they would take the uh, offending priest once it was, you know, came to their attention from parents, uh, and they would transfer them to other other churches, other places, so that they could continue their uh, faggot, pedo, you know, molesting of the little boys with some different ones, with some new ones. Very few were ever brought to justice. Very few were ever prosecuted because... You know, they they have these uh, laws in terms of uh, statutes of limitation, and, and so the higher-ups would keep it secret long enough that by the time it would get out there, it would be too late to prosecute these people. So not only were the priests not punished or prosecuted in, in hardly any cases for this, neither were those that were higher-ups that protected these priests. And the same thing goes on here in my local area where, some of these individuals, you know, just moved up in the ranks. Just recently, one of them appointed to a new high position and is being defended by the conservatives on talk radio, uh, you know, that, you know, it's no big deal. Let's not judge somebody just on that one aspect and all that. But anyone who can still be a Catholic and still go to a Catholic church and give them any goddamn money yeah. is uh, just worthy of the, I don't know what, I mean, I know. they're, they're, I mean, they're the lowest, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's bad enough that, you know, the Christ and saying don't read the goddamn, you know, Jew book and know what's in there to, so that they could, you know, open their eyes a little bit if they did that, but things that are happening right in front of their face that are, that are happening, they don't, they won't even acknowledge. It's It's incredible. You know, and and the point that I wanted to bring up about presenting those statistics, I had a reason for doing that, and I wanted to talk about it in this, you know, this part. You know, you have to notice uh, the countries that have the largest population of Christians, the United States being the, the biggest, followed by second, Brazil, followed by third, Mexico. Okay, so we've got we've got the floodgates open for 
that that whole <laughs> they're going to bring them all in. I'm telling you. <laughs> And then at at the bottom, I mean, these are just the top ten. You've got Ethiopia, you've got the Congo, you know, and they're and Nigeria, and they're flying those people in. So the church, and you saw the figures that I that I read, that I were able, I was able to find. It's difficult uh, in that um, in that tracking system, but I mean, I was able to pull up a good bit of information. Um, you can see the huge, huge numbers. Uh, I mean, people don't realize that the churches are part of the government. They, they're they a functioning arm of the government. And the whole operation is a, a Jew-run operation. The World Council of Churches, all of those national uh, affiliations that churches belong to, um, they've all got Jews woven in at the head. Uh, right. I, I did some digging. I mean, I did, you know, I was going crazy doing research to do this, and then I, I didn't want it to be too long, and I didn't want to be too involved. I, I sort of wanted to be able to talk about it more. But, I mean, it's just, you know, Jew-headed, for, you know, at the top, uh, government-funded. I mean, all of the money, all of our money <laughs> is all going to fund our own destruction. It's a, it's really amazing. And then amazing. they play the game, though, when it comes to, for example, the Catholic Church and its supposed opposition to the Obama administration because of the new health care law or health care program, Obamacare, and how they're you know, going to be forced to provide certain types of services uh, in terms of uh, not just relating to abortion possibly, which is, again, just playing with the social social uh, issues, but also the uh, the different types of birth control things that they're against. And, of course, they also pretend to be hardcore against homosexuality, while that's pretty much what they are. When it comes, I'm not saying they're all like that, but obviously they protect the faggot priests and have been doing that for a long time, while they pretend to be against homosexuality. But they had no problem, you look at what they do, not what they say, you know, to to appease their members. They had no problem working with the Obama administration, taking all that money, and, and yeah, they were all set up to get those damn spicklets, you know, set up and relocated all across the country, you know. And so they're working right with the Obama administration that they pretend to oppose in these other areas. And, yeah, that was all set up. Uh, Of course, this has been going on for decades, but just this recent situation over the last year with the unaccompanied uh, spiklets. As I was researching this, the you know the whole children thing that they did this uh, this past summer um, with the invasion of the the lost children um, that was set up and they started funding it in 2002. Uh, so the funding for the true invasion that we have now was started back then, and uh, the the churches provided all the buses. Um, well, the churches are getting the money from the government in, ter- in forms of grants, and then the churches are um, spending all of that money to fly them in, and bus them in, and train load them in, and the whole thing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so we've got, we have a, a real mess on our hands, and I mean, you know that, you know, my, 
uh, one of my arch enemies. I mean, my my big thing is Christ insanity. I, I I have no I have no tolerance for it. None, not even well, a little bit. Well, even within the struggle, that's where it really irritates me. You know, you yep. go over to places like the Daily Stormer, and these individuals will tell me, well, as long as they profess to put race first, remembering that most of them won't even do that. They'll say, they don't, right. we don't need to. We're traditional this or that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we're not this, this mainstream Catholic or mainstream this. We're traditional or we're CI. But... You know, just go and look at the comments there, and look how they defend Catholics, mainstream Catholics. Look how they defend it. those nuns, and it shows that when it comes right down to it, remember, Catholics that are going overseas to help mud people, and are here in our country and in other, you know, in Europe, Canada, Australia, are helping to, assi- you know, assist with the flood of mud people into our countries that's destroying us. They will, when it comes down to it, defend those Catholics and others that are doing this just because they're Christian. So that proves that Christ insanity will always come first because, let's remember, this is only a short sliver of an eternal existence that's going to be up there in heaven with Yahweh, Jesus, and all those fucking mud people. (laughs) <laughs> who are also exactly. Christian. So exactly. they can't, you know, they can't put uh, race first because there is no race in heaven. There's no bodies. And uh, anyone can be a Christian. It's universalism. It's, you know, for everybody, it's a universal religion. So let's not be too comforted by those numbers because that goes with what people profess when we look at some of the northern European countries. I've seen one that was down to as low as 40% that professed to be Christian. But these are some of the most politically correct countries, like Sweden, for example. Well, they're infected heavily with Christianity. Even though they profess to be atheists or pagans, they buy into the universalism, they buy into the equality, they buy into the moral codes of Christ insanity that have been presented to them through modern propaganda that the Jews put forth in terms of movies, sitcoms, whatever it may be, so they don't consider themselves Christians. They may hate Christianity, they say, but they've bought into the major moral tenets of it. They just don't like the homosexual stuff, and the way the Jews play that to those who profess to be Christians is, well, you can hate the sinner, but you, excuse me, hate the sin, but you have to love the sinner. But to those who don't profess to be, you know, for accepting faggots, let's say. But for those who don't profess to be Christians, well, yeah, they go a lot further. They don't just tolerate faggots. They promote that lifestyle, and especially there in Sweden and other places where they have really bought all this this crazy shit the Jews are pushing, hook, line, and sinker. But I would still say they're heavily Christianized. They just don't know it. <laughs> yeah, it's the credos, you know. When they get the credos in their heads, I mean, I mean, it goes it goes down to the you know the basic, yeah, Jesus loves you, and then uh, you know, Jesus loves the little children, that kind of stuff. I mean, unless they're white. Stuff, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Unless they're white. So I mean, those are the kinds of messages, you know, at gut level. The memes, uh, the memes, uh, you know, travel as a virus. That's the virus. 
and those are the things even though you know people may say you know they're not practicing or you know Bob might call them CNE Christians or whatever but they accept it to the point that you know even if they're CNE they they feel like they have to go to church on Christmas and Easter you know just to acknowledge you know something but they still have the memes in their head they've got the virus and I mean well, that's how I see it totally as a virus well well some will say they're Dangerous. just buying into the cultural aspects of it well that would be true i overheard somebody in a store recently and so i'll get to that in a second but that would be true if they were just liking the santa thing and the trees and the lights and that kind of thing which is you know from the pagan side but in actuality you'll hear them parrot what they get usually from conservatives but sometimes even from those in the middle or even on the left saying well christmas is too commercialized i mean it's too much about Christmas trees and lights and Santa and not enough about the birth of Jesus and all that. So that's the cultural aspect that they're really interested in, which is a sick culture, a Jesus culture. So, I, yeah, I don't give any, any pass to people who just because they're Christmas and Easter Christians. As I put in the chat, uh, a Christian cannot be a real anti-Semite or, let's say, anti-Jew since he is the result of Judaism. And there's something that's somewhat changed, but from Nietzsche. And uh, another one, there is no such thing as a Christian Aryan, you know, as in noble white. Correct. One can Correct. weed out unwor- the unworthy of the white, cauc- you know, Caucasoid, of the white race by ruling out those that sincerely profess to be Christians of any stripe. Yep. You know, if they can't be saved, they can't face reality, discard the suicidal fairy tales, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're rotten to the core, and that's a way to qualify who you're who you're dealing with. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you just said. I'm, I'm totally there. I mean, I, I give no quarter, none, none. Okay. Yeah, and I think it has become genetic because over time, you know, the worst lines, I'm talking they're into adulthood now. I understand anybody can be programmed into anything. But once you're in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and and so on, and you can't let go of that, and even mm-hmm. say you're a racialist and that you're anti-Jew and, you know, I hate the kikes and all that, and you can't let go of that, it tells me we're dealing with a rotten genetic line. Now, it doesn't mean that within that line you don't get some sparks sometimes that come back because I have that, I consider, I'm nothing like the rest of my family that I came from. And I'm including cousins, siblings, and all that. They're pretty much rotten to the core. So every now and again, something will pop up. You know, maybe that's okay. But a lot of these lines are just, I think, over time, the worst of our genetic material has, has, through this Christian, you know, setup for all these centuries, has just passed along and passed along. And a lot of the better elements might have been, wiped out in the past, especially the pagans that fought the Christians and all that. And I think we have the worst of the worst, a lot of them left, and uh, it's, it's, it's a shame. It is a shame. It is. And uh, and that was well said. And, uh, and I think there is something to be said about the genetic inheritance. And, um, I'm, you know, I, I tend to kind of think that way myself. Um, I, I just I don't understand people that just can't move. I, I think I have another caller, Bill. Um, I, I yep. try to bring this person up. So let me see. Hello. Hello. 
Can Hello, you hear me? is this my violent heart? Yes, we yes, can hear is. you. So what do you've got? Um, what do you got for us on this? Well, that first article you read said that the Jews created Christianity by accident, claiming that Jesus was only trying to reform the Jewish religion. Yeah, I call bullshit. The idea that there was ever one single Jew who complained that Jews were too greedy, that's just ridiculous beyond belief. That's Credo 43 from the White Man's Bible. Uh, so uh, that's where that comes from. And uh, that's a Jew in 1928, you know, in a, in a magazine. You know, as I as I said, it was uh, you know it was from the a 1928 uh, Century magazine issue. That's what the Jew said, and I read it as the Jew said it. Well, it was obviously just made up to trick whites into thinking Jesus wasn't a typical Jew. Besides, as as you later mentioned, there's no proof he ever existed. Right. Right. All proof indicates that he that he didn't. I mean, there's just there's no there's nothing that that uh, points to uh, a real living breathing entity that was known as Jesus Christ. It, there's just nothing. I mean, well, you if you look for um, if there you look at historical records, there isn't one single historian from that time right. that ever said anything about that. And you would think, I mean, forget about the so-called miracles he did. Just the fact that there was a dude going around insulting uh, Judaism and whatever, you would think that would make some headlines. There wasn't. The only historians that make any mention of him were Christians. That later the whole myth yeah. right there. That came, yeah, yeah that and came it was centuries afterwards. Right, and King right. Herod having the firstborn of every household that was male that's you know, slain, true. that would have been noticed and written about by somebody, but since it never happened, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-known fact that that period of time in Roman history, the Romans documented, there there is extant documentation of the, the, the historical period then. And he's not mentioned. He's he's not mentioned. And, and, and the other stories like that, I mean, there are many stories like that. Uh, it's, it's, so much of it is fairy tales. I think most of it is fairy tales. And, you know, I'm no Yahweh slayer like Charlie Giuliani. He does, you know, one of the the best jobs at, uh, you know, really hitting things home. Uh, But you you get the general idea as to how it was all put together uh, and, and why. Right. There's a decent amount of truth within that article. But, of course, you know, it's written by a Jew, so... Yeah, that yeah. part about Jesus, that's not real. Also, right. it kind of is contradictory when he says the protocols of the elders of Zion, okay, we'll acknowledge it's all true, even though he's admitting in there that Christ insanity is all a plot. Well, the protocols of the elders of Zion has that part in there, the sections in there where, and it was probably put together, I don't believe it was actually likely written by Jews, it was probably written by somebody who was, you know, they were very good at seeing what was going on, and so they pretty much put down what they thought the Jews were up to, but they threw in a bunch of bullshit on the Christian angle, likely because it was a Christian. And so they put in that stuff about how the Jews are opposing Christianity and all that. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of the protocols is just nonsense that actually mm-hmm. helps the uh, Jews, but I'm not saying it was necessarily written by Jews. It was probably written by a Christian or, you know, something like that to try to, and maybe sincerely, somebody who thought that could be helpful 
since most people profess to be Christians, to get them to turn against the Jews. Oh, look at what they're doing to, you know, they're out there fighting Christianity. And it's true, yep. that these atheist organizations are mainly led by Jews, the ones that are behind taking away nativity scenes, taking school prayer. If they read the Bible, they're not supposed to pray in public. But anyway, taking school prayer, you know, prayer out of schools and out of other public uh, venues and so forth. Yeah, it is Jews that are behind that, but that mm-hmm. strengthens Christianity. It's all yep. part of the game. It justifies it. It gives them, you know, you pay attention to it and get them riled up and, you know, oh, it's the end times. Look what's going on, you know. When we uh, become less of a Christian nation, God will not bless us anymore. Send more money. It's the end times, you know. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the game. So, so you got more calls, game. right? It's a bit, yeah, I do. Hello? Rod, go ahead. Uh, I remember the one priest that you talked about who was given a position at the Vatican, and I didn't know that he was still alive, but that son of a bitch, he um, should never have been allowed out of the country. And I guess since the uh, Vatican, I, I think they're just like Israel, to where they will not... They don't have any laws pertaining to extradition. Do I have another caller? Yeah, you got another caller down there. All right, well, let's. Should bring I bring him up? Yeah, because this, All right. this button, studio won't work for me. When, when you see it hit red, then just go ahead. Okay. Yeah, how you, how you doing tonight? Well, this hey, is, Bob, uh, Wolf how are you? Wolf Wall Street, here, yeah. how are pretty, you? Pretty, pretty good, getting by. Yeah, this is uh, it's a great topic, and I really. You know your your approach is undaunting and you know it's flawless. You know I always look at it sort of I'm, I'm I started out saying don't play the conspiracy shell game and then I <laughs> then I say don't play the media shell game because you can't tell what's real and what isn't. So just acknowledge things anecdotally, but I but I don't take a firm stance in those things. Now religion is different because. Uh, but all you know, Christianity is the dominant one. But really, all of them have their flaws. It's just that Christianity hits us right in our psychology, you betcha. You and betcha. Uh, that's the real problem. And and other religions hit other people in their psychologies. They're just as bad in their own ways. Right. But I think this one's worse because we are the more creative people, and right. it hits white people. It hits their empathy. And their creativity creates a much stronger empathy. And once they turn that into sympathy for the others, for non-whites and, you know, the the downtrodden, then, you know, it's a real problem. But, you know, just putting all that aside for a second, but not the problem, what are we going to do about it? I mean, this... Well, Those numbers and, and, you, know, you gave were, and the percentages. Yeah. I, I was just buried in, you know, research. I thought, this show is going to be three hours long, <laughs> and I'm going to be reading the whole time again and again and again. But, well, you know, I think what we have to do about what we have to do about it is talk about it. Um, you know, Charlie Giuliani, who really just does great shows on Christ Insanity, I mean the best, his show was pulled about two and a half weeks ago. And he was oh, really? he was a very strong yes there was a very he was a very strong voice now he's gone um, so who's talking huh. about it I mean you know it this to me it this is the it's the elephant in the in the goddamn living room you know it's something that I, that I could just go on and on and on about 
And, you know, I well, can pick up in lots of Char- different ways. Charlie's got this network, you know. Now, I know he's, uh, at least in the past, he wasn't racial. And I well, think some yeah. that he became more racial. Well, I thought he was, you know, becoming a little more racial. Uh, and then, you know, I don't know, I see pullback, and, I, you know, I see him waffle on the issue uh, a right. bit. And, I, you know, that's his own Christ insanity training that, you know, gets him stuck. Yeah, as far as his analysis on, you know, Christ insanity, though, he he's just great. He's just great. He hits it so hard. Mm-hmm. If I could do, you know, a, a you know a hundredth of what he does, or but impart that kind to, of information. To me, what can we do about it is like what Urban said. The same as what we're doing, or well, by we, right I guess I mean, right here. But for okay. others uh, that are racialist, you know, they're out there on the internet trying to reach people, reach the reachable. Uh, well, actually, most of them are out there trying to reach the unreachable. But anyway, trying to reach the reachable yeah. on the Jewish issue, on race, and all that. And to me, the uh, main tool that they use and have used for a long time to destroy us is Christianity. So the same thing goes on. You try to reach those who can be reached, and, and one big reason for that is so that down the road, whenever it comes that it, things get hot, and there is actual white revolution. I want to do my little part. There's others that are bigger out there, you know, trying to do the, you know their part and have been for a long time, so that the warriors that are out there fighting, uh, the lone wolves, the small cells, whatever it may be, so that more and more of them aren't Christians, so that in the end, when the dust settles, we don't end up with Christians ruling us, so we can repeat these same cycles over and over and over right. again. So yeah, it's got to come. It's got to come to an end. What I found, what I found heartening, was uh, in the article that I read uh, from Europe. No, it was from my statistics. The uh, decline of Christianity in Europe from uh, 66.3 percent in 1910 to 25.9 percent in 2010. It grows in the Americas, but, you know, that's the Americas, so that picks up Central and South America. Uh, but still, uh, I was heartened the, about the numbers for, from Europe. A big problem there that you brought out, I, I don't know if it was you or Bill that brought it out, and it's called ethics, and it's Christian-based ethics or Judeo-based ethics. Mm-hmm. Then people become atheists, but they're still running on those those ethics. Yep. I actually, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't believe in atheism either. Uh, no, I no. believe that you, you have to understand that there's a true power driving the universe, driving natural law, and you don't have to call it God or anything, but you better right. understand that it's there because it is there. You know, there is yeah, a power well, there that, that's well, consistent. Well, yeah, Somebody I, yeah. can acknowledge nature and still exactly. not be a theist. Which would exactly. mean a, since they're not theists, that would mean they're an atheist, even though they understand the uh, natural order of things and that there is a. Maybe we don't understand it, but there is natural law. There is nature. Mm-hmm. It's everything's part of a process, a force, so forth. So I'm not a well, one part of it. One part of it. One part of it. Well, if I might just end with this on the sure. thought. One part of it is that we continually learn more and more about the forces 
driving nature or the forces that are nature. That's what we do. That's we find out. It's it's revealed to us. It, it's unfolded to us as we discover more and more. And that process itself could be considered not atheist, but striving for more for more knowledge. I guess. But I, I just don't like atheism because it has it sort of is another kind of a religion almost. It's no, like it's an anti. It's the cousin. To, yeah, it's the, the cousin to Christianity. I mean. You, you know, so yeah. you ha- they're they're married. Well, together, I don't know how having you know, so no religion can be a religion. <laughs> That's well, what people who atta- Christians yeah. who attack it say, yeah, kind of right. like a religion. And in a way, you're right because they still have the most of the people who say they're atheists have that Christian or, or actually Jewish based uh, right. ethic. So in that right. way, well, yeah, talking. they're on board with political well, correctness and and universalism, equality, and they do take it like a religion. But a true atheist. Who has no religion? You know, obviously that's well, not a religion for them. But most but the a- most of, atheists, yeah. The point of atheism, though, is not religion. We're not talking religion. We're talking a god. And what I'm saying is that there is a power out there much stronger than we are, and it will always remain so. And it has that kind of an implication. However, we do have the ability, and Maybe being that the crown combined, we <laughs> be, Bob, well, being I'm, the crown. I'm, the crown of creation, oh. as some people put it, that we have the ability to learn more and more of this power. I doubt if we'll ever learn it all, I, but it I, is our greatest striving. I would like to just chime in with this about, you know, this force. You know, when you say force, you know, it, it wants to pull your oh. head back into, you know, the the Christ insane, you know, kind of thing. So, but, you know, quantum physics, electric universe mm-hmm. theories, those things oh. all make really wonderful wonderful sense you know we are electric beings you know we are everything is alive and of course it's nature it's everything it's you know and so it's very simple to look at it that way where you're not you know imagining some godhead you know or some you know power structure you know somewhere Mm -hmm. maybe we are that force in other words through the best humans that force is the combination of them where the ears, the eyes, the mind of the, I'm not, you know, I'm just throwing something out there, of that force. So in a way, I kind of like that angle a little bit more where, uh, well, along the Nietzsche line where we can become godlike in right, a sense, exactly. combined together rather than it being something separate from us. Right, and that and that's um, you know I think going back to you know pagan, basic pagan, um, you know they they didn't have necessarily belief structures. They had uh, things that they held in awe. Uh, they realized that there was power around them. Power maybe is not the right word, but forces. There were forces. Uh, they acknowledged oh, those forces it, and it. they and they honored them for what they they were and they also um, had a sense of uh, the God within themselves mm-hmm. and so you know uh, yeah. if I may say something I, I've always thought that and I'd say this to myself when I ran into this kind of you know uh, thinking I would say I I'd say I just don't believe in magic you know I don't believe in magic well here. I almost lost this, but I just got it back. Fortunately, I got my pad in front of me. It's power without magic. It's real. It's there. We don't know what it is because we're continually discovering more and more. And the electric universe thing is really cool. 
folks can Google that and you well, know, check I, it I out. Like it's very word, interesting like, stuff. I like the word energy as opposed to power. Yeah. Power just, okay. you know, it, it strikes a, uh, you know, a patriarchal kind of chord uh-huh. when I hear that word, and so um, I, I, I cringe back from it a bit, um, you know. But energy that works, uh, that works because it's a neutral kind of thing. Well, the reason, the reason I used the term power, I don't know if you heard the show yesterday or not, but I did, uh, I did mention it last night uh, that uh, I look at. The 80%, you know how what we consider the 80% are the lemmings who always follow the power or whoever has the power. And then the 20%, that's the reasonable people who may or may not get it yet, but they're the targeted audience like Bill was talking about, you know, the ones that are qualified from our perspective. And then right now, and I guess this has probably been going on forever and a day, our small faction of people versus their small faction of people are fighting for the power to develop enough of that 20% to guide the 80%, which actually is the might. The might is in those numbers. It's just that they're the mob. They're they're a mob unless they're directed to do the best for us all. And uh, that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it now. Yeah, urban. Now, there's several different definitions for patriarchy. I need to get you on board with this, if possible. Uh, Now, one of them is, of course, and the way I always look at it, is that we're talking about males as the leaders, which I think is highly natural, in line with natural law, for humans and many other mammals and other types of creatures as well. So here's one of the definitions. A system of society or government in which... The father or eldest male is head of the family. That's one. A system or society of government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded. Well, maybe that's the one you're thinking of. Okay, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. something I'm for either. So maybe that's why you, uh, you know, yeah, I heard you I, say I, there about yeah. patriarchy. I'm, I'm sorry. But it doesn't I'm, have I, to be that way. I, I should have qualified it because we've talked about this before. You know, I'm I'm totally on board with you know the, you know the male figures being the leaders and uh, and I think that's how it should be. I mean, I don't even think women should vote. I don't think they should be allowed to vote. I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, yeah, on that level. But you know, on another level, the word hits me and and it, and it hits me at my Christ insane button. And you know, well, then I see the you know the big Jew in well, the right, sky. And, within, <laughs> right, because within Christianity. That even though I think a lot of the first Christians were women, but that's how the Christians have have portrayed things a long time is more in excluding women. And if you read in the Bible, uh, you know there's a big hatred there. Even Jesus, oh, that one time when when his mother comes to him and he, you know he treats her like shit. I mean, right, right, right. <laughs> there's a lot of that actually. And and you know we have to realize in the in the pagan you know in the pagan mythologies in the pagan what we know of it um, there were goddesses and so right you know, so so mother there was, nature exactly mother nature so I mean there there was an equal kind of dis maybe not equal I don't even want to use that word but you know there was a distribution there was a there was a love between the men and women uh, they were they were respected they honored each other and uh, complimentary. You know, so, Yes, complimentary, very good. Feminine and masculine, good. right? Very good. Yes, perfect. Yeah, and 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 that I can work with. It's just 
it's just the word patriot, you know, it just and I see the big Jew in the sky and then, you know, I just I throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Bob? Yeah, um I think it's a great show tonight and it gets right down to the bottom line. And I think I think you've you've made it better clarifying things for everybody that's listening and uh it's it's a good approach. I I still think that I, I just don't like that atheism thing because it's sort of like a religion, even though it's an anti religion. But I do like your idea of energy. I like my idea of power from a tactical point of view, but from a strategic point of view, you know, a more all-encompassing macro view, your idea of energy and this electric universe thing, maybe maybe they've hit it right on, the Thunderbolts project. Maybe they've hit it dead nuts. Or they're getting closer, which is more likely the case. They're getting closer and closer. I, I kind of still like the idea of power as a tactical thing that we must fight for. And it's between us. It really is between us and people that think like we do, and we don't even know who they are, ghost wolves, phantom wolves, whoever. But it's really between us and the enemy, which isn't just kite Jews. It's a lot of other people that think like them or that think similarly to them, even if they're not on the same playbook. But it is between us and them. It's 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 fairly simple from that higher plane. It is. And I'm glad we talked about this, too, because um, I, I, one, in one show we were doing somewhere, I was talking to you, and, and you said to Bill and I, well, you're a, you're both atheists. <laughs> and I didn't say anything, but I, I wanted to say, I'm not an atheist, but, but because I don't think of it that way. I mean, I just, you know, that's right. something that, you know, you have to subscribe to, and I, you know, I, I just don't think that way. So, was, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm glad we talked about this. Uh, and, Bill, do you have anything that you want to say? Yeah. I don't have a problem with being called an atheist, and I understand what Wolf's saying. I'm not that type of atheist like most of them are, where it is almost a religion to them. They're pretty much on board with this political correctness and, mm-hmm. you know, the whole night, you know, feminism, equality, all that stuff. I, I'm not like that. But I am an atheist, uh, you know, technically, at least by one of the definitions, you know, that most people would think of. I'm not a theist. So. But at the same time, I'm agnostic. A lot of people don't understand you can be both. If you're an atheist who's sure there is no higher power, there is no God, there is no this, there is no that, well, then you're an atheist. If you're an atheist like me who's, well, I'm not sure, though, if evidence comes along to show me there is some higher force, uh, unlike, you know, even beyond what we discussed earlier, well, then, being rational, I'll accept it. And it's certainly not going to be fucking Yahweh. So I'm I'm agnostic at the same time, as in I'm open to, you know, and I understand I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know most things, okay? But I do know a few things, and, you know, so that's where I stand there. And a, a last point, maybe I think Wolf would agree with this. I, I don't know if you will, uh, Urban, but I do understand during this propaganda, I'm yeah, I'm not going to go soft on Christians or anything like that, but... There is a small group of of these people that profess to be Christians, remembering that in reality there's no such thing as a real Christian, never has been, never will be. They don't pluck out their eyes, this and that. But, you know, it's potent poison, so the closer they get to following a little bit of it, uh, you know, like your born-again types, your fundamentalists, you know, it's still troublesome. But there are some Christians out there that can 
be of some use to us and, and, and do some good. I mean, I think of Bob Miles and all that and some of the great articles that he wrote, and I'm pretty much in agreement with a lot of the, well, the ones I read on air, and yet he was CI. So there is those rare exceptions of people. But during this propaganda phase, I don't think that I'm going to go soft on Christians or anything like that, but I do understand that when things get hot, we, we've got to concentrate our energies on our number one enemies. We don't want to start civil war within the racial movement during these hot phases. It's it's during this phase when we're trying to reach people to it from my point of view to try to ensure that there's more of us out there than them so that they don't rule the you know, the situation and, and have too many of these CI types out there or traditional Christians or whatever. So but once it gets hot I do understand that then you don't want to focus you, you know it's not wise to focus then our hostilities and all that on fellow racialists, even though they're, you know, are they really racialists when they're Christian? You know, that, but if they're out there doing, yeah. go ahead. That is that is very well said, Bill, because uh, because this is the propaganda phase that we're in, and uh, and sooner or later something, I mean, something's got to happen. We we know it. We know it will. Um, we know that that's there's going to be a hot time. And I agree, you know, when we go hot, then, you know, uh, maybe you back off on uh, taking no quarter or uh, that kind of positioning right. but at this, but yeah, at this phase, uh, I can Then I we're no striking at, at the, you know, the the power structure, the Jews, right. the, right. the Shabbos Goy that are serving them, you know, all the most serious threats, and they, they are, they're going to be doing the same thing, so that's helping us. So why have this fracturing, you know, during the time when we could be, even if it's individual lone wolf striking, you know, whatever, it doesn't make sense then to start this war on Christianity then. Right. But when when things start to calm down, well, right. it's going to get hot again because I'm sure <laughs> as hell not going to live under any CI kind of country. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it's some... You know, it has to be dealt with at some point. I mean, so, you know, we take a stand, we take a position at this at this time during the propaganda phase. You know, we can be hardliners uh, and then, you know, cease that when it's necessary to stop and fight. And then, you know, when there's a sifting out period afterwards and things are being built again, then uh, it's back on the back on the table. And that's that's how I see it. That's uh, very well said. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Good podcast. Bill said basically that, you know, we are atheists and agnostics and who knows what else. But for us, in a way, it doesn't even matter. Basically, uh, that's the best way of defining it. And atheism is, it's no, you know, no belief, no God belief. I, I think that the, even though this Giuliani's gone, I think that it was good then that you took up this task of talking about some more of these things that have a lot to do with religion, because people, that, this would be the least topic someone would be inclined to hear about is Christianity and someone talking down, and, and we do it more than some of the others, and uh, maybe we'll continue doing it, and it would catch people off guard, I think. Uh, they would come here, and they're going to get everything else, but sometimes they'll hear of, of these things, and uh, it may be somebody 
who has ever heard any of this talk before, which is right. good. And right. sometimes people need that. They need to be, in fact, caught off guard. Not that they just hear topics pertaining to our race, our, uh, our right is right, anything in survival and weaponry, uh, even eating right and uh, being right. in shape, you know, all these different topics, and then all of a sudden someone drops this bomb on them with religion. They say, what the fuck is this? And a lot of people, I'll tell you this, throughout my life I was starved to hear things and I couldn't hear it. And I think that's good. And all I needed, for example, you know, when you're close to your family, well, guess what? You do the things that are in line with your family. Or things that relate to all of that, to support that. And I think it's good. And I, like I said, I searched for that sort of thing, and it took a long time to find the slightest amount of info talking against it. And and I think that's why I wasted a good portion of my life by not being able to find other people who were capable of discussing these things. And so it cost me, let's say, another 10 or 20 years, maybe 30, listening to pure shit. Orion, he talked about as a tourism, and uh, he seemed to have it right, and he talked about our ancestors, and he made it clear in the sense that he said, you know, we don't have God. They're not real gods in that sense, and we, we honor them. The ones that we may call a God, I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself here, but Orion was saying, he had a good way of explaining it. He was saying it was of our Ancestral gods, but it was mostly, uh, it was mostly in the sense of uh, uh, honoring them and our ancestors to right. be respectful towards them. The things that I like are when it pertains to our ancestors. That's right. you know exactly. what I like, and that's the one thing we really I think need to pay attention to more than anything else is promoting things of our people and of our ancestors. If anything needs to be promoted, it's to that. Our ancestors, they at least got us to this point. I will tell you that I will continue to promote that. Yeah, our pre-Christian ancestors, but if you want to look at karma in a sensible sense, there is collective guilt and collective, uh, well, you can take collective, let's say, uh, credit for something, too, in the larger sense. When we look at the mess we're in today, it's because of the actions, foolish actions, or inaction of not just ourselves here today, but of our ancestors going back a long ways. So our recent ancestors haven't been all that good. (laughs) But I know what you're saying, the pre-Christian. It would have to be be back. For example, you know, when I had that podcast on uh, on the Battle of Tudorburg Forest, and even going further back than that, uh, well, yeah, even though we did accomplish some good things, uh, we, we were already on the slippery slopes, you know. But at least the, the one of the last greatest things I think we did is Germany got rid of a lot of the worthless Jews. But certainly oh, yeah, back, that was I the greatest say, generation yeah, for a while. Yeah. Well, uh, well, it could be. Over there, I, not I think here. That, <laughs> yeah, but even, um, you know, maybe we were kind of really fucked by the second or third century. But really... Uh, you know, 1920s and 30s. Yeah, and we're all already on those shit slopes. But, um, <laughs> Rob, um, I appreciate uh, everything that you're offering, 
but I, I think I want to go ahead and uh, close out the show now, if uh, that's all right with everyone. Sure. Good idea. All, all right. And uh, we're going to close with uh, this really wonderful song that I found, Jesus Shot Me in the Head. And so I hope you enjoy this. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And we'll see you next time on the Might is Right Network. Bye-bye, and remember... Remember the 14 words and free Matt Hale and Rahoa.
Love is all but the one to fall Hold a special place in his ranks Least I hope this is how it goes Cause I'm just about out of breath So hey everybody did you hear the news Jesus shot me in the head Now I'm on the road again Yes I'm on the road again no more rolling down that wicked track I'm gone to see the king But oh Lord, I need a hand Oh Lord, I need a hand But don't be late at those pretty gates Come on Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.